Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is a great reassuring passage written in Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's tragic this morning that some have abused that passage, misapplied it altogether, and tried to use it to show that uh, miraculous gifts will always be present because Jesus Christ doesn't change. And since Jesus Christ uh, uh, gave gifts to men and uh, authorized and used miraculous uh, uh, manifestations of his power, that that power will always be available because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a total misapplication of what the writer of Hebrews assures us of here. But there is much to be reassured about accurately from that statement from the writer of Hebrews. And that epistle to the Hebrews was written at a time of political and, and religious agitation the Jewish state was still existing, but it was plainly drawing near to its end. It was nearing the year A.D. 70 when the destruction of Jerusalem occurred. Change and unrest were in the air, and everything pointed to a very swift, a very sudden upheaval. Christians were being persecuted with bitterness by both Jews and Romans. They stood friendless. They stood alone with no earthly power willing to protect them. And it was just at this crisis that the epistle to the Hebrews was written. In the midst of a world that seemed crumbling to ruins, these words were penned. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That must have been a tremendous source of comfort to those who read those words. But think about us. Think about where we are today. As Brother Steve mentioned in his fine prayer a few moments ago, we are in a time of, of turmoil. There's no question about that. I hope we realize just uh, how true that is. We live in a world that is, that is changing. And the words of this text that we're examining are as true and valid today as ever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Regardless of, of what changes may be on the horizon, good or bad, the turmoil in which we find ourselves, the immorality that characterizes our, our world today, it is still true today and will be true until time is no more and beyond that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Many things will change. Many things have changed in the lifetime that we have experienced. You've seen changes, some good, some not so good, some terrible. But I believe it will be beneficial for us to study and appreciate that in the midst of all of this, Christ does not change. The changelessness of Christ. We need to appreciate the changelessness of Christ. And I'd like for us to think about several points very briefly this morning. Very points that, uh, very uh, good points about the Christ that should, from Scripture, reassure us that no matter what may happen, what may change in the world in which we live, Christ does not change. He does not change in his attitude toward error, first of all. Every departure from God's word was denounced by Christ as he lived upon this earth, and we have a record of it 
in his word. For example, in Matthew chapter 15, hypocrites, verse 7 of Matthew 15, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near, near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do we realize that the life of Jesus Christ was governed by it is written. It is written. And you remember the temptations there of the devil to the Christ that were answered on every occasion on that, in that incident recorded there in Matthew 4 and Luke's account as well. Jesus answered, it is written. Has that changed? No, it is still written. And of course, Jesus referred to Old Testament passages because he expressed that term, it is written to the devil at a time when the law was still in force. But now we're under the law of Christ. But it is evident that he has not changed because in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who, what? does the will of my Father in heaven. He goes on, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Notice it. You who what? Practice lawlessness. You who are involved in error. And yet we live in a time, as you well know, where with many... Nothing, very little, if anything, is counted as error now, just as long as you are sincere in what you are doing. But we must never lose sight of the fact that Christ changes not in his attitude toward error. And very closely related to that point is this one. Christ changes not in his attitude toward the false religions that permeate our land and our world. Because we read that the sects that existed in his day were condemned by the Lord. Matthew 15 again, this time at verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. A reference to the false religion planted by men that will be uprooted by the God of heaven. And those false religions and religionists were condemned by the Apostle Paul who admonished the Roman Christians in Romans 16 and verse 17. I urge you, brethren, he said, note those or mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and what? Avoid them. What about Paul's writings elsewhere in the first Corinthian epistle? You remember the epistle begins very shortly after his greeting with this plea. Plead, I plead with you, brethren, verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be what? Few divisions? No, no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then he goes on to explain what he had learned was taking place there at Corinth, where some were following Paul, some Cephas, some Apollos, and some Christ. And he asked, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? That is to ask, were these denominations that exist in our world today, the world religions 
that span the globe. Were they established by the God of heaven or were they established by men? The answer is obvious. Upon this rock I will build my church, the Lord said in Matthew 16, 18. For by one spirit, Paul wrote, we were all baptized into one body. That one body clearly being identified as the church. Christ shed his blood for the pre-denominational, not just the undenominational, but pre-denominational body of Christ, the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming back to take that body, that church, that kingdom, home to the Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 24, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. The kingdom is the church. The church is the body. Christ is the head of the body. He's coming back for that body. Will his attitude be the same at the judgment as it is now? He's coming for one, not many. And we need to make sure that we understand and appreciate that and that we're a part of that body. Ephesians chapter 5, an epistle that exalts the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 26 and 27 he says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The church is precious beyond description. And Christ is still its head. And his attitude toward the human heads that govern the human institutions that are established and exist without his authority, his attitude toward them has not changed, nor will it change. Christ does not change in his attitude toward error. He does not change in his attitude toward false religion. But Christ does not change also in his ability to save. And isn't that a wonderful thought? That Christ does not change in his ability to save souls. Do you realize that he never lost a case while on earth for lack of ability on his part? He never lost a case for lack of ability on his part. The only ones that Christ could not save while he lived among men were those who would not be saved. Those with an unwillingness to be saved. He saved the vilest of sinners when they would let him and there is none he cannot save today if one is willing to be saved. He has that ability. He has not changed in that ability. He will never change in that ability and closely related is this point he changes not in his interest in saving his interest is as intense today in saving souls as it has ever been he came into this world as luke records it in luke 19:10 to seek and to save the lost the son of man he said is come to seek and to save that which was lost do you realize that Christ is as interested in your soul and mine today as he was in the soul of that Samaritan woman about whom we read in John chapter 4? And when we read that account, we read about a time when Jesus was tired. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. And he encountered a woman who was initially totally materialistic, had no interest in spiritual things, morally deficient, materialistic in her thinking, and yet a tired and hungry Lord was patient 
and had an intense interest in her soul, so much so that ultimately it led to the salvation of many other souls to whom she went as she went into that city of Sychar and said, Come, see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Could this be the Christ? The kind of interest that Jesus had in that woman's soul, despite the kind of woman she was, is the kind of interest he still has in every precious soul. He has made your case and my case his own case. And with the fervor of an elder brother, he pleads with us to obey the gospel if we haven't done so. He pleads with us to live in accordance with the gospel and to never look back because he's interested intensely in our salvation. And Christ does not change in sympathy. He visited our world that he might enter into all our feelings. Think about it. He assumed our nature. He was made like his brethren. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, that he might become a sympathetic priest. The high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the one mediator between God and man. Listen again to how the Hebrews writer puts it in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, there we are, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, there he is, the Christ, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There we are again. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. There we are again. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Atonement for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. There's the sympathetic Christ pictured for us by the Hebrews writer who partook of our nature, suffered and died and shed his blood that we might have the hope of eternal life. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our trials. He knows our sorrows. Jesus wept, remember, at the tomb of Lazarus? He knows. He changes not in his sympathy, and he changes not in his love and his tenderness. Because God commended his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And the golden text of the Bible, that was Romans 5, 8, the golden text of the Bible, John three sixteen, reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this is shown by the message that he sent to his disciples, remember, after his resurrection in Mark 16 and verse 7, but go and tell his disciples, go and tell his disciples, what? That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you, the concern for his disciples after his resurrection, his love for them, his tenderness toward them, his provision for them. And also we need to appreciate that Christ does not change 
in faithfulness. And oh, how crucial that is for us to remember. You know, it's unusual for a mother to forget her child, isn't it? But it happens. Nonetheless, it happens. The closest of ties should exist between husband and wife. But many times those ties are broken through unfaithfulness. The closest of earthly friends sometimes become enemies. And friendships can be broken by misunderstanding and by hasty words. But what does Paul remind us about our Lord? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. I don't care. If you become faithless, he's going to be faithful. He adds, for he cannot deny himself. He will always be there. He will always be faithful regardless of our faithlessness. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. We can rely on him always. And Christ changes not in his ability to meet the deepest needs of humankind. You know, conditions do change, as we've talked about. But the basic needs of man are the same, aren't they? The needs of man's body are the same today that they've always been. You need food, you need shelter, you need clothing, etc. Those basic needs do not change. But the same is true of man's deepest needs. Man needs God. And this need can only be met in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul was expressing in the second Corinthian epistle, chapter 5 and verse 19, where he wrote, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us, he's talking about the apostles there, the word of reconciliation. God was where in Christ? Doing what? Reconciling whom? The world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. Man's deepest need is a spiritual need. And the only way it can be met is in Christ. Man needs forgiveness, whether he realizes it or not, and he obviously and tragically does not always realize that, but he needs it, and it can only be found in Christ in whom we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his what? Grace, Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Man needs help to get out from under the dominion of sin, and Christ supplies that help. Paul reminds us of that in the Roman epistle, when he talks about the dominion of sin that we are not to be under. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you're not under law, that is that law of Moses any longer. You're under the law of grace. You're under the law of liberty, under grace. The culmination, the fruition of God's grace fully made known by the coming of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he brought in his coming. Man needs eternal life. Christ meets that need. 1 John 5, 11, The witness is this, that God gave unto us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The deepest needs of man can only be met by Christ, and He has not changed in His ability to meet those needs. He will never change in His ability to meet those needs. He'll be there to do that. 
and therefore he changes not in his ability to change lives. Look at Peter. Remember him? Impulsive? Weak at times? Matthew 26, 69 through 75, the denial of Christ three times just as Christ had predicted it. But then you look at him later. Look at him later in Acts chapter 4, 18 beginning. They called them and commanded them. This is the, the Jewish leaders now commanded them, the apostles, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Denial, denial, denial. That's not what we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, or in Acts 5, 40 and 41. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. Peter's in the group, isn't he? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. From denial to affirmation of the Christ as the Son of the living God and suffering for that name. Christ had the ability to change Peter's life and he has not changed in his ability to change lives today. What about Paul? Persecutor and blasphemer to the world's greatest preacher of his time. When you look at a passage written by that great preacher, 1 Corinthians 6, Verses 9 and 10, you see the change that can be wrought in the lives of those who will come to the Christ. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul writes, and such were some of you, were some of you, but what? You were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What a change. You couldn't find a worse list, could you, than the one we just read. And yet he said, you were on that list, many of you, but not anymore. Changed completely by the one who has not changed in his ability to change us. And Christ has not changed in the plan of salvation. Those keys that he promised to give Peter and the other apostles in Matthew 16, 19 are the same keys today that we must use if we're to be pleasing to God to admit people into the kingdom of God, which is the church. I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he said. What were those keys? The terms of admission into the kingdom they were used for the first time on Pentecost following the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Then they've been used time and time and time again. And until time is no more, they're the only keys that one can scripturally use to admit men and women into the kingdom of heaven. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Use those keys with every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. 
we cannot change what Christ will not change, and that is his plan for saving men. The examples of conversion we've been studying in the book of Acts, they stand. And they'll stand as long as time stands. And all the changes in the world have left those conversions unchanged. Man can change the plan, but he cannot change this plan. He can change the plan to a plan that he likes, a plan that's more palatable to more people, a plan that is easier to follow, but Christ won't change with him. Christ will not change and approve that changed plan because Christ changes not in the specific plan of salvation. And Christ changes not toward neglect. He will still have the same attitude at the judgment that he has now toward neglect. In Matthew chapter 25, in verse 45, as a part of that depiction of the judgment scene that he was projecting at that time, he said, Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not, or did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Neglect will be viewed by the Christ at the judgment as it is viewed by the Christ now. You remember what he said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 concerning the law that was in effect at that time? In Matthew 23 at verse 23, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, here's what you do. You pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And then he said, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Neglect. Neglect. How did the Lord view it as he lived among men? We know how he did. How will he view it at the judgment? The same way he views it now. And finally, and thankfully, Christ changes not in his invitation. It's still open. It's still the same. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek, as the King James says, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the invitation that will never change. Not until time is no more. And we wonder, how can so many, how can so many continue to refuse that beautiful invitation the greatest ever extended from the Lord himself. One day every one of us will face death. And if we're Christians at the time, we'll face it with confidence and assurance of a better life. And some of us will no doubt know that that time is near because of terminal illnesses that will occur that leave us with no real hope. But not all of us will have any warning of death. There'll be no time for goodbyes, no time for repentance, and so the time for repentance is now. We need to live the life of the righteous so that we can die the death of the righteous because we do not know when that is coming. No, Christ changes not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not, but we must change.
We must change from a life of disobedience to one of submission to His will and obedience to His commands. And when we do that, we know that Christ changes not in His promise to us of eternal life as a reward of our faithfulness to Him. If you need to make that change today, we plead with you to do it. To obey the gospel by believing with all of your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing Him to be the Christ, and then being buried with Him in baptism for the remission of sins. If you've done those things, but you know that you have not continued to live faithfully and need to come home to your first love, we plead with you to do that in repentance this morning while you have that time and opportunity. And for those who need no repentance, no change in your life, but you know you're surrounded by changes that are disturbing, face those disturbing changes with the knowledge that Christ changes not. As we stand to sing, will you come?